It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocking Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We are preparing for Kansas State. We are rewinding the clock. We're going back to 1999, getting ready for the Wildcats. Dangerous Wildcats team. Dark horse conference contender. It's like it's like we're back in the Big 12 again. It's great. Uh, we also had some breaking news. We have some roster movement. It's just there's a whole lot going on. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be with you tonight. Um, I know for Mizzou fans, this is a really big week, man. You get a big-time commitment. You have a game that I honestly just can't wait for. Like the closer we get to it, the more excited I get for to, to just watch and to find out more about this Mizzou team. And I know we just have our disagreements on whether or not you should be playing these types of games. But I love for fans that we're actually going to learn something within the first month of the season. Unlike when they were in the Big 12 and they played like four nonsensical games before you would get to learn anything about your actual football team. Oh, poppycock. You played Arizona State. <laughs> you, they had real games in there, man. Don't don't be whitewashing history. Yeah, I don't remember any of those. Oh, you don't. I remember Southeast Louisiana. That's oh, I remember those. That's games. convenient. That was also a. Uh, <laughs> that was also the first the first football game of Missouri in the SEC. Southeast yeah, well, Louisiana. Touche. Yeah. So you know it's okay. They still had the same schedule format at that point in time. They hadn't switched over yeah, yet. Four non-con, then you get into your conference. Yep. Hey, yep, yep. don't say you never learned anything. We learned against Troy that in 2004 Missouri was not good. We learned that's, that's a fair point. Again, 2005 against New Mexico, Missouri was not good. You know, we've learned some things, not great things. Play Ole Miss, play Illinois. Those were always great games. Uh, played Arizona State, so you know. Don't say you never learned nothing. But hey, let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about the commitment that we got literally like 
three hours ago, uh, we had officially, officially, official uh, that Mr. Logan Reichert uh, out of Raytown, Missouri, uh, the former home of Chase Kaufman, all-time great, number 45 tight end. Uh, but Logan Reichert, number 87, 87th best prospect in the country, according to rivals, seventh best tackle, uh, and the fifth best player in the state of Missouri. He is committed to your Missouri Tigers. He is 6'7", 345, and 18 years old. <laughs> this was this has been a target for a while. And frankly, BK, this is this is one I, I'm not gonna say that there's any recruit that you have to get. That's a must get. But for the Drinkwitz regime, for these guys who kind of hang their hat on recruiting and considering the misses they had on the offensive line, this is one they had to get. That's kind of how I feel as well. Uh, you look back to some of the guys that they've missed on in this class. There was Miles McVeigh, who ended up going to Alabama. Who can blame him? I get it. Like, if you've got the opportunity to go play football for free at Alabama, uh, let's be an opportunity to come back home if you're that talented to go out and play for Alabama. So I get it. I don't necessarily blame him. Mm -hmm. uh, you lose out on Caden Green to Oklahoma. Again, you get to go to Oklahoma. I get it. I'm not going to blame a kid for doing it. But those were big time recruits that you would have liked to have seen at Missouri. And then the last kind of piece to that puzzle was Logan Riker, the three kind of blue chip talents on the offensive line. And it always felt like he was the most likely. His mom went to Mizzou, so he had legitimate ties to the program. The only other school that felt like, at one point at least, a threat was Georgia. And that was because one of their coaches has a family relationship with the Rikerts. And then he ended up going to Oregon. <laughs> and so now his last two were Oregon and playing close to home at Mizzou. And it always felt like this was Mizzou's to lose. So it's a huge commitment, man. I don't want to downplay this at all. He is a massive, massive human being. And Mizzou needs to land one of these types of commits every single season. Now that you're in the SEC and you're trying to play with the big boys and Florida's on the way back up, Tennessee is on the way back up, Georgia is all of the way back, you've got to be able to have offensive lines that can win in the trenches. You look back to 2013, 2014, that's where they won. They won because their offensive and defensive lines were just dominant. They got to get back to that. And it's going to take guys like Logan Riker to be able to do that. Absolutely. So this is one, two, three. This is the fourth four-star recruit, uh, according to rivals, joining Brett Norfleet, the uh, four-star out of St. Charles, Missouri, uh, Jabari Johnson, the dual-threat quarterback out of Tacoma, Washington, and then, of course, Josh Manning, who committed back in July, the wide receiver out of Lee Summit. Uh, so the, the Missouri commits from this class have a Western flavor to it. We have yet to really see a blue chipper from St. Louis in this class commit. Um, now there's still time to go and, and uh, you know, nothing's over until you sign in December. Uh, but it is nice to see the Western part of the state, the Kansas city area uh, starting to present itself a little bit better um, in the recruiting aspect. I guess Brett Norfleet, St. Charles. I don't want to, I don't want to take that away from him. St. Charles is nice. It's okay. BK. You don't have to correct me on that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that side of the state has been tougher to, to crack. And while there hasn't been as many blue chip recruits, uh, from that side, they are growing. There are more of them, and it's it's good to get both sides represented. So good to get another uh, blue chipper. Good to get another Missourian on there. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, this puts Missouri's recruiting class at 60th overall. If you're looking at the composite, but 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 remember, these are only there's only 11 commits here. If you mm -hmm. look at the star rating 
Uh, Missouri's class actually by player, by, by player star rating is 25th. Um, so the, it, they might not have as many and, and the number of kids that you bring in does count into that number, but the quality of player they're bringing in is about the same as it has been, uh, the past couple years. Uh, so that is, that is something to keep in mind when you're looking at that six and that zero and going, what are we doing? Just, there is still quality kids coming in and that is before you even hit the transfer portal. Uh, so it's still, it's still a quality class, even if it is smaller. Yeah, to put that in context, uh, Arkansas right now has the number 14 rated recruiting class in the country, I believe it is, and their average star ranking is 3.3. Missouri's average star ranking is 3.3. So you essentially, by quality of talent, are bringing in the same caliber of athlete as Arkansas, NC State, Iowa, North Carolina, South Carolina. Those are the teams right in that range. That's where you want to be if you're Missouri in terms of the, the caliber of player I just haven't brought in very many of them. And I do wonder if this is going to be, um, I know we've talked about this a lot, Nate, but I wonder if this is just going to be a smaller class and maybe part of the Eli Drinkwood's build, right, wrong, or indifferent, is going to be taking five to 10 transfers every year. And that's just the way that he's going to go about it. And because they have fewer spots available to them this offseason, uh, maybe he's going to take a smaller recruiting class unless he can get guys that he's legitimately targeting. He's not just going to take a flyer on a high school player. He'd rather take a flyer on a transfer that he knows more about. I mean, we, we talked about this last week. You said, you know, that we when recruiting, you can't bring in transfer class after transfer class after transfer class. And I do agree with you on that. But I think this class in particular is different. Look at the class, uh, the, the, the roster breakdown by class. You have 31 freshmen. And you have 18 mm-hmm. sophomores. That's 49 players of your of your allotment that you can have. And remember, that's only 85. Okay. Then you have 20 seniors and graduate students, and you have 13 juniors. Okay. So there's really not a lot of room because uh, those seniors are going to be coming back. Well, let me rephrase. Some of those seniors can come back. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, I think this class was always destined to be smaller because they were assuming. Number one, the senior class was going to be hanging around because you have those COVID seniors. But number two, what are those highly rated kids? They're freshmen and sophomores, right? Like you expect to hold on to them and develop them. There just wasn't going to be a lot of room. So if this is a scenario where it's, hey, we bring in uh, 15 high schoolers in December. We look at where the transfers go, replace that with transfers in and just rock with what we got like. That is a that is a good strategy for this year. I'm not saying you should do that every year, but given where the talent is, how young it is, and that you have kids who can be coming back, I think the strategy makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And when you look at what remains in the in-state class, Jeremiah Love is still out there. He's a blue chip running back, but the overwhelming likelihood is it seems like he's kind of trending towards Texas AM. Um, and if not there, he's, he's going to a big program. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's Notre Dame, maybe it's Alabama, maybe it's Texas A&M, but it's, it's somebody of that ilk. It's almost assuredly not going to be Missouri, and it's been trending away from Mizzou for a while now. The one that is interesting, though, among the quote-unquote blue-chip talents that are still available, and he's the only other one in-state, is it sounds like Marvin Burks, the safety oh, yeah. out of Cardinal Ritter, yeah. might be kind of Looking back at Mizzou, I think this happens sometimes. There's like two different ways that recruitments tend to go. One is kind of what happened with Miles McVeigh, where early on they feel like they are a heavy Missouri lean. 
And then as they get more interest elsewhere, it becomes very clear, oh, they have a wandering eye. Oh, <laughs> like they're, yeah. they're going to go to Oklahoma or Alabama or so on and so forth. The other way that this can go is they're a blue chip talent. They get a bunch of offers. They're really excited about the process. They stay quiet, though, and that's what Marvin Burks has done thus far. And then you get midway through the season. They haven't committed anywhere. And it's like, wait, are are they just going to end up coming to Mizzou? <laughs> Is this thing going to kind of fall back to them? Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's what's happening with Burks. And he's a four-star safety. If I'm a safety right now, to be totally honest with you, Nate, and I saw what that defense looked like last week and how they could mm-hmm. use him in that defense, that is certainly something that would be of interest to me. So I, hopefully they're able to finish that one out as well. And if you do, man, it's it's not what we were hoping for with this in-state class, but it still has a chance to be a pretty darn good in-state recruiting class. Yeah, for sure. You know, if you end up with that, that would give you, assuming it's three of the top yeah, 10 kids in the state. Exactly. And like, who are you going up against? Well, Tennessee got Chandavian Bradley, Oklahoma, like you said, got Caden Green. Notre Dame gets Christian Gray, uh, PJ Adebore, like he goes to Oklahoma. Mac Markway goes to LSU. Like, look at those names. <laughs> and that's what Missouri is going up against. Missouri is not going to win every single battle against every one of those schools every single time. Like, just it's not going to happen. Uh, even if you have uh, the home field advantage, if you will, of, of saying, hey, play for the home time school. Like, that's just, that's, that's tough. That's always tough. Uh, and if you pull in three of the top 10, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the, the talent continues to be uh, numerous <laughs> as far as these high school recruits go. And there's always going to be some opportunities to pick them up and bring them in. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is it's good news. It's great. Uh, congratulations to Logan. We hope you sign on the dotted line in December. Um, and he would be a great uh, he would be a great addition to this offensive line. Speaking of the offensive line, there was a subtraction today. Um, Mr. Dylan Spencer. Former Missouri, former Jackson State, and now once again former Missouri offensive lineman uh, has elected to uh, uh, no longer play football for the Tigers. Uh, this was broken by Power Mizzou uh, sometime this morning, I guess. And uh, yeah, it was it was kind of interesting since you know he he committed to Drinkwitz and then left halfway through the 2020 season, came back halfway through the 2021 season, and now a game in, he's gone again. He seemed to be, uh, I mean, he played for the, uh, again, in 20, which is a tough offensive line, but he played a couple of games in 2020. He seemed like a, a viable option at the guard spot. And then we get to uh, the game against Louisiana Tech, and the backup offensive line runs out, and it's uh, 6'8", Mitchell Walters taking the right guard spot, where we all kind of figured uh, Dylan Spencer would be playing. So... I don't know. I get he doesn't play here anymore. <laughs> that's that's what I know for sure. BK, what are your thoughts on this? Well, this one is kind of why I feel like it's maybe not as big of a deal sometimes to take some of these transfers as others because it's pretty easy to move on in the in the current state of college football. And I know that feels dirty. It feels dirty to me too, guys. I get it. But Kids are doing it, and so are teams. Now it is less of a kids are powerless than it once was. Now, if you're lower on the uh, on the pecking order, you still don't have a lot of power, let's be honest. Like, yeah, you can transfer, but uh, your options are more limited. But I feel less terrible about it now than I once did. Um, so it just clearly didn't work out. And I think Mizzou was hoping, hey, maybe this is a guy that can give us a little bit of depth that we don't have. And then... 
They came to camp. He clearly wasn't going to crack the two deep. He saw that. They saw that. And my assumption here is, and it's nothing more than an assumption, they both agreed at probably best for us to go ahead and go our separate ways once again. So I wish him nothing but the best. And hopefully he's able to latch on somewhere else, maybe at like a G5 type of a level. I think he could do all right there, but it just wasn't going to work at Mizzou. Yep. And so he's gone. And that is technically a, a hit to the offensive line depth. But as we've said time and time again, the strength of this offensive line is number of options. So when you have 18 guys and they can all reasonably see the field, you know, losing one, not not a huge hit. Not a huge hit. So, yes, good luck to Dylan. Hopefully you find a spot that you enjoy on a team that you like to play with and you can see some time. So that is it for the uh, the roster movement. Let's, let's go back to Louisiana Tech, BK. That was a good game. That was a fun game. Missouri put up 50 points. That was nice. Did you happen to see the success rates of Louisiana Tech quarter by quarter when I put up the beyond the box score? I have not checked that out yet. Okay. I've been slammed this week, so I have not looked at that yet. I see. I see how it works. Okay. Well, let me educate you. Um, success rate. Again. I'll be ex- excited just as the listeners are currently. <laughs> success rate as a reminder is are you getting are you getting enough yardage per down? All right. So on, on first down, are you getting at least 50% of the yards needed? On second down, are you getting at least 70% of the yards needed? And then on third and fourth down, you need to get 100% of the yards needed to be considered a successful play. Kind of, you know, that's how it's been, you know, that's how Bill C looks at it. That's how a bunch of people look at it. It's just a nice little metric to see, yes, you are moving the ball, but how well are you moving the ball? Are you achieving enough yardage to, to accomplish your goal? So as a reference point, last year, the national average was right around 44%, 44.1%. That was the average, okay? Missouri against Louisiana Tech had a 43% success rate in quarter one, had a 50% success rate in quarter two, had a 54% success rate in quarter three, and a 50% success rate in quarter four. Louisiana Tech, on the flip side, 38% in the first quarter, 28% in the second quarter, 17% in the third quarter, and then when they were lighting us up and getting all those yards and touchdowns in the fourth, 33%. So Louisiana Tech did not do well by moving the ball consistently. They had three lucky shots, one against Uh a defense that overbit, and then two against the backups. And that was about it. This defense, which featured young corners and a, a defense that was suspect all last year, absolutely snuffed them out. And we saw it. And the raw numbers told it. And then you look at the success rates and you're like, oh, they they didn't really have a chance. Missouri's win expectancy, which is like, hey, if you were all these things were to just toss them in the air and come down, how often would you win a game? Missouri had 100% win expectancy at the end of this game. There is no chance Louisiana Tech was going to win. So, BK, they beat the heck out of them. And the advanced numbers backed that up. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel like I did on, on Saturday whenever we did our podcast in person together. Like, I feel like anything that you wanted to see from Missouri on Saturday or on last Thursday, rather, you kind of did. Like you saw some of the explosive plays from these new fun wide receivers that you were looking forward to. Dominic Lovett, I thought, was one of the more underrated Mm storylines of the game. Mm -hmm. Tyron Hopper, the new addition defensively, was everything you could have asked for and then some. 
Um, you look at Joseph Charleston. He was the ball hawk that you were looking for. You look at the interior of the defensive line. You had three new guys that all contributed in meaningful ways. I think Brady Cook had a better game than people are giving him credit for. No, he wasn't perfect. And I have to say that as a disclaimer, because otherwise people will say, BK, he also wasn't great. Uh, okay, fine. He was pretty good, though. Like, he looked like a pretty good college quarterback. And that's all I'm asking him to be this year. So I, I thought it was a, a really well-played game for the most part by Mizzou, other than, as you mentioned, just a few plays. And if that's what they were going to look like, I think that's like, if you're Eli Drinkwitz, the best case scenario, because they left just enough out there for him to be able to go back this week and point to it and say, hey... Sure, you want a game, you want it handily. You also didn't play perfect, and these are the things that'll get you beat against Kansas State. Mm -hmm. So I, I liked kind of the way from his perspective as well how that game ended up playing out. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Missouri's success rate of passing was 41.9%, which, you know, again, a little a lower than average. They did have a 53.1% rushing success rate, though. So they, they were able to find a way to compensate and, of course, move the ball and score some points. Uh, along those lines, along the ground game, we talked about it, how we'd like to see Cody Schrader have his carries notched down a little bit, have Nate Pete uh, have his notched up a little bit. The numbers back that up. We talked about it on Saturday. Cody Schrader had a 4.3 yard per carry. Nate Pete, 8.6. Brady Cook, 8.6. Michael Cox, 4.7. Uh, even BJ Harris had a 4.5 yards per carry. Elijah Young, 11.3. Cody Schrader's yards per carry was the lowest on the team, flat out, and he had 16 carries. The advanced stats back that up. Line yards per carry, he had 1.9. The team averaged 2.9. His success rate rushing on the ground, 37%. Every other running back was over 40%. Opportunity rate, how many times were you getting four yards on your carry? Schrader was at 43%. Everybody else was over 60%. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how you look at it. Cody Schrader had a bad game. And if that's the max of what he could do, fine, cool. Limit his carries. If it was a bad game and he's going to be better, okay, that's fine as well. But we saw who the better running back was, and it was Nate Pete. The raw numbers back that up. The advanced numbers back that up. And I'm not rooting against Schrader. I'm just saying his usage needs to be a little bit different than what we saw on Thursday. And BK, I don't think that's a crazy assessment. No, I don't think that's crazy at all. And I think that's the correct way to look at it. Uh, there were two things in the running game that I think stood out to me. One, I, I think the offensive line has to be better. I mean, you, you look at your beyond-the-box score numbers. The line yards per carry was 2.9. The yards per carry was 6.7. That tells you that the running backs and the quarterbacks were able to, or, and frankly, the wide receivers as well, <laughs> yeah. were able to get more than what was blocked for them. Mm -hmm. That's good. That is a very good sign that you have guys in the backfield that can create their own yardage. The guy that created the least amount of his own yardage, though, was Schrader. And that kind of goes back to, and some of it was also like he, the line created nothing for him when he was out there. Um, he's just, he is going to take what is, what is blocked for him. And that's fine. You can use that at a place like Georgia, at a place like maybe Oregon in the Pac-12 or BYU. These places where you're going to have those mauling offensive lines that just go out there and beat the hell out of their opponent. You can get away with a running back that simply gets whatever is blocked for him. At Mizzou, in this conference... Given these opponents, and heck, even this week against K-State, where ooh, we'll get into this, they have got a terrifying defensive line. Um, you can't get away with that. 
And so I, I think that the numbers from last week in terms of the opportunities should basically be flipped. Yes. Uh, it, it should be Nate Pete as your number one running back. Frankly, I would like to see Elijah Young as your number two running back. I think he mm. just has more giddy up. Um, and then I would go Schrader as, as number three. Yeah. I, I, I would be good with that as well. Um, and then the last thing that really stood out to me once I ran the numbers you know, we talked about the defensive transfers. I, I mostly facetiously said, are all the defensive transfers our best defensive players? Because, uh, again, <laughs> Martez Manuel, Trajan Jeffcoat, Isaiah McGuire, they all still exist. However, chew on Our this. Life. Chew on this. Missouri finished with 46 tackles, nine tackles for loss, four sacks, eight passes broken up, and three interceptions. Okay? Pretty good. Pretty good. Transfers contributed 17 and a half of those 46 tackles. That's 38%. Three and a half out of, of those nine tackles for loss. So that's also 38%. Two and a half sacks out of the four that we got. That's 62%. Two passes broken up. That's 25% of the total. And then two interceptions out of the three, which is 66%. So the defensive transfers contributed basically more than you would expect um, than, than everybody else who had been on the roster for a little bit. And frankly, I mean... We brought them in because they were good and the, and the staff liked them and they, they weren't seeing time and they needed to play somewhere. So we shouldn't be too surprised at the same time. BK, that is that is a heck of a contribution from basically three guys who were playing somewhere else last year. Yeah, no, it's excellent. And it's exactly what they needed. You know, you, you go to the transfer portal and you're looking for guys that can contribute immediately and you never know how that's going to go. I mean, it, it could have gone the other way. Now, Tyron Hopper, I was very confident based on the film that we saw from him at Florida that he was going to be an awesome player at Mizzou. I didn't know that that was going to be the case for Joseph Charleston. Mm-hmm. thought I could, mm-hmm. but it could have gone the other direction. We certainly didn't know that that was going to be the case for like a Josh Landry or um, you look at like a Christian Williams, for example. They, they just didn't have a ton of film at their previous stops. And when you've got guys like that, you're hoping or Drayden Norwood, Mm -hmm. that's maybe the perfect example of it, right? He comes in from a zoo and in week one plays more than 30 snaps for you defensively. And I'm going to be totally honest, didn't really realize that he was on the field. Mm -hmm. That is a great sign for a cornerback when you don't even notice that he's out there. So if you're able to get those kinds of contributions from the guys that uh, we haven't seen much film on, and I would assume. The staff hadn't seen a whole lot of film on. Mm-hmm. It speaks highly to their their ability to go out there and find the right players in the transfer portal. Maybe this was just a situation where it's a one-off and they got lucky. I would like to believe, though, that it is an indicator that when they go to the portal, they have a pretty good idea of what they're looking for and what they need to be able to fit their scheme. Yeah. And they, they haven't connected on every single transfer. Like, we're not saying that, but they certainly connected on the ones who were starting or are seeing significant minutes. And really, that's that's all you need. You needed something, something to step in and uh, kind of hold the fort while the, the young talent gets developed and acclimated to the college level. And that's that's what we're seeing. So that's pretty dang cool. Uh, let's talk about Kansas State. Let's it's coming up. We are recording on a Thursday. It's coming up on Saturday. Our old Wildcat friends from the Big Eight. By the way, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this game. I'm legitimately fascinated. Very good. They beat the heck out of South Dakota, which is a good FCS mm-hmm. team. They had a. They also had 100% post game win expectancy. 34 nothing. 34 nothing. My God. Um, some things to some things to note. Number one, this offense is exactly as one sided as you as we all thought they were going to be. Certainly me. 
Um, looking at the acquisition of Adrian Martinez, knowing how Chris Kleiman likes to run his offense, I was like, oh, yeah, you could basically, you could probably run the triple option all year. <laughs> Frankly, you could probably do that with Deuce, Deuce Vaughn, Adrian Martinez, and like the kind of lack of explosiveness in your receiving game. Like, yeah, that's what you're going to do. Well, that is what they did. They had a 50% success rate against South Dakota, 56.5% uh, success rate running. Now, when they tried to pass, and it was only 15 times. Okay, I'll give them credit, but when they... What, probably 150 yards against a, a lower-level opponent? It was not great. That 38.5% success rate had no explosiveness, had no efficiency. They had a 78% completion rate, but it went nowhere. It went nowhere. And so they just ran the ball basically constantly. If they got into a passing down situation, again, that's going to be like your second and seven or a second and seven and more, uh, third and seven and more, stuff like that. They had a 25% success rate in passing down situations, 54% on standard downs when it's like first and 10, second and five, third and three, et cetera, et cetera. Y'all, if this tiger defense can knock them off schedule, they are screwed to the wall. <laughs> now the, the bad news of course, is that their defense is pretty good. Uh, they are the 13th best defense in the country as of right now, based on SP plus. Now I know everyone's got little opinions on how that is, but it is a good qualifier just to give you an idea of how they are doing compared to everybody. It means else. they're good. Whether you disagree with the, the 13th rating or whatever, like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But they are an upper echelon. Defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, if you, if they, they had some difficulty stopping the South Dakota gr uh, ground game, they allowed a 56% success rate on the ground. Uh, they did way better against the pass, limiting them to a 38% success rate. Uh, basically, no explosiveness at all, no efficiency whatsoever. So they actually got, they were able to get moved on on the ground, but not uh, in the air. They, uh, they they shut it down. So here's what we know. Climbing defenses are pretty good, usually pretty good against the pass, last week aside. And they usually snuff out the run. So you need to kind of flip the script from last week where... You know, the ground game was the efficiency. The passing game was the explosiveness. Flip that. Try and have easy, quick passes to move the ball and let the ground game be the explosiveness, which, again, put Nate Pete in. He can do that. Um, regardless, though, this is going to be a tough test. One game does not tell you everything that you need to know, especially from an advanced stats standpoint. They don't recruit very well. They recruit like a really good G5 team, but my God. They the one thing that they do well, they really, really do well, and they know how to leverage uh, situations. And you saw them just snuff out South Dakota. Uh, Missouri is definitely a talent upgrade, but BK, it's not going to be easy. So this is basically Bill Snyder. Like that, that's what Mizzou's going up against this weekend. They're they're going up against a modern day Bill Snyder K State team. Um, if he was if he was in his prime again and he was coaching at K State. That's kind of what his team would look like. It's going to be a really difficult game, man. Like, I am I am not here to make Mizzou fans feel a whole lot better than what you just did. I took last week Louisiana Tech against the spread. I am taking this week K-State to cover the spread. Once again, it is a seven and a half point line right now in Vegas. That feels about right to me. Like, down. if I had to project. Yeah, it was started at eight and a half, and most of the the bets are coming in on K State for what it's worth. So the tickets, like the most number of people, are putting their tickets in on K State. The money though seems to be coming more in on the Missouri side. So there's they call it reverse line movement. Mm -hmm. So that's worth noting. The sharps is what most in the gambling industries call it. Uh, they, they're kind of on Mizzou going into this weekend. 
Um, which, eh, take it for what it's worth, a grain of salt, but it's something. I... All of the things that scare me about K-State are the things that scared me about how Missouri would lose a game last year. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why I'm so interested in this game, Nate, is because like K-State is kind of Kentucky-esque mm-hmm. in that they will put the mirror up and show you how good you are mm-hmm. as a team. And I, I don't know how good Missouri is as a team. They are better than what they were last year. If they had played this exact same K-State team last year, I would give them zero chance to oh, win. Like, yeah. zero. Yeah. This season, with Tyron Hopper out there, with those run stuffers in the interior of the defensive line, with a revamped safety room, and a defense that is going to play aggressive and will take K-State off of schedule at times Mm -hmm. early on in their downs, Mm -hmm. I do think you have a chance to be able to come up with some explosives offensively, put them off schedule, and by halftime you're up like 17 to 10 and you're feeling okay about it. And you just got to figure out a way to hold on to that lead. It could also go the other way, where their offensive line leans on Missouri's defense. We start seeing some holes that we didn't expect to see because Louisiana Tech just isn't good enough to exploit them. And then we're talking on Saturday night, the two of us, and we say, oh, okay, yeah, Missouri's going to be better this year, but there are still some obvious signs of things that they have to improve. Offensive line being one. And I do wonder if we're going to be talking about the secondary as another. Could be. Could be. I don't know if they're going to be tested. That that's that's the big question. Yeah. So my concern is you got to be explosive on both sides, right? Like to yep. to play against a team that likes to play keep away on offense and just devastate you on defense, you need to create havoc on defense. You need to blow them up. You need to get them in, you know, second and 13. Third and 17, where it's like, oh, you have to pass and you're not very good at it. Uh, well, Adrian Martinez can throw a pretty ball, but his accuracy is not much better than you or I. So it's it, it gives you opportunities to pounce. And we saw last week, when given an opportunity, this Missouri defense knows how to how to create turnovers. Okay, so that, that's what you're looking for. You need aggression to blow them up. Now, it's going to go the other way. It's going to cause Deuce Vaughn to rattle off a 12 or 16-yard run or maybe 40. I don't know. But you need to take those gambles. Otherwise, they're just going to go three yards, three yards, three yards, three yards, and then touchdown. So you need to be a little bit of aggressive, and we saw that from Blake Baker. On the flip side, you also need explosiveness on offense. They run a 3-4 defense, so that is usually pretty stout against the run, and it also creates explosions on incident. Or I'm sorry, they run a 3-3-5. So it's three down linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs. That is super funky. If you remember San Diego State from 2010, they ran a 3-3-5, gave, put Blaine Gabbert through hell for three and a half quarters. So um, that it's it's tough to go against because the blitz comes from anywhere and everywhere, and it's really good at disguising that. And then you have five defense backs who can kind of play damage control. Um, uh, you're talking about the 3-3-5 that Missouri ran last year oh my against God, uh, no, Tennessee, right? <laughs> Not that. that I, I would prefer that, frankly. <laughs> give me give me that. Um, so you need explosive plays because they are going to also kind of blitz you from out of nowhere, send pressure from the blind side, confuse you up front. And, you know, so you need a big play to kind of keep them on their toes. Last year, that was Tyler Beatty and nobody else. So this is a good opportunity to see what Dom Lovett and Luther Burden can be from an explosive standpoint. Hell, throw Mookie Cooper in there. But you need big chunk plays because you are going to get blown up a lot when Missouri has the ball. Is this when we talk about Felix? (sighs) 
yeah, go ahead. So, if you're a baseball fan, you remember the gentleman by the name of King Felix. He was a uh, starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. Mm -hmm. He was quite good. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a new King Felix in town. He reigns from the defense of the Kansas State Wildcats. He's a junior. He's a potential future, like, top 50 NFL draft pick. And he's a superstar. <laughs> Where is he? What, what, what high school did he go to? Do you know? He's from KC, right? He's from Kansas City. Two-star from Kansas City. Yep. Yeah. Um, he is he's, – he's quite good, and he makes everybody look terrible. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year. Oh. Um, I, I am absolutely horrified as to what that is going to look like. Last year, he had 11 sacks and 50 total tackles. He – uh, forced six fumbles as well. He is everywhere. He is a nightmare for opposing offensive tackles. He's going to come from all over on the defense. And this is where one of my big questions going into the game for Missouri is their offensive line. And specifically, that right tackle spot. Woo, buddy, we are about to learn quickly. <laughs> like, I remember when he first got to campus, we talked about this. Zeke Powell was starting at uh, I think it was left tackle at the time, actually. Mm -hmm. The first game of the year in 2020 was against Alabama. Mm -hmm. And we we're like, ah, well, a baptism by fire. Let's see what he's got. And now it kind of feels that way again. Two years later, he's back in the starting lineup, this time on the right side of the defense. And if I'm K-State, I am lining up Felix the entire game over Zeke Powell. And let's find out what he's got. This is going to be a test for Eli Drinkwitz. He's going to have to scheme some stuff up. He's going to have to give Zeke Powell some help. And let's be honest, Missouri doesn't have a whole lot of help when it comes to their tight ends. Like They they just don't have dudes over there that can get the job done. So maybe this is, this is one of my concerns where Cody Schrader comes back in because mm -hmm. they seem to trust him in pass protection. And they just have him chip every time as he's going out on a passing route. I'm concerned that that will be a reason as to why Schrader will be on the field more often. And I sure. will get it. It makes sense to me, but it will also reduce the amount of explosive plays that Missouri is able to have. So it's kind of that, that pull that, that push pull. Well, we're helping ourselves when it comes to pass protection, but we're also limiting the potential explosive plays that we can have because Nate Pete is just so much better than Schrader. What do we do here? Yeah. I'm going to be curious to see which side of that Eli Drinkwitz falls on. He's typically pretty conservative, mm -hmm. So I have a fear that I know which side he's going to be on. I'm like, yeah, Felix is going to be a terror. But on that line, you also have Eli Huggins, who logged nine tackles for loss last year. He's their, he's their uh, battleship class defensive tackle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Nate Matlack, who, who is not much of a – he's not a stat stuffer. Like he had, I think, 16 solo tackles last year and five tackles for loss. But, like, he opened stuff up for Daniel Green their linebacker who all who had 17 tackles for loss last year. Um, so it is pick your poison, man. Like the, they're not highly rated coming out of high school, but they are really freaking good. And they, they have this identity that they play around and they know how to play in that scheme. And they're really, really freaking good at it. I think you're right about Schrader. <laughs> He's going to be in there for, for pass pro. Uh, so it makes me think this. Okay. How often do we see the the bird and wildcat? 
right? How, how do they utilize him to mm-hmm. make them stop and think a little bit or, or be a little uneasy on what's going to happen? Because that that is this the game where we see them throw? I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. Or at least have Cooper take it around the side or love it, take it around the side. Uh, but I think we're going to see a burden pass. I think you're going to see a lot more of the uh, tricky formations, the orbit motions, the lining up receivers in the backfield, putting running backs out in the slot, having big tight, you know, having seven offensive linemen come in. They had that unbalanced line on that Luther Burden touchdown. Like you're going to see that to make them stop and go, huh? Haven't seen that yet because you need them to think and slow down just to give you a shot at executing the way that you want to execute. So. Yes, Zeke Powell, no pressure. I mean, even even for you know Javon Foster too, because Felix kind of moves all over the place. But it, it, I agree. If I were the coach, I'm like go go get Zeke. Um, I I am terrified of him. It's not it's not going to be easy, and that defense is 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 tough to score on. But um, it can be done. You just hope that Drinkwitz is smart enough to scheme up something awesome, and the players can execute. Because this is this is going to be a grind, man. So let's let's get to this. Um, Missouri's offense will win the matchup against the K-State defense if blank. If they get their explosive runs flat out. I don't think they're going to see a lot of big pass plays. You know, for whatever happened against South Dakota, I, that secondary is way better than what that looked like, and it was only one game. If the Tigers are ripping off 12- and 16-yard runs like, I don't know, seven or eight times, I'm thinking, okay, th- then they got they got a line on this. They got a beat on this defense. They can do that. Um, if they're doing that, I feel pretty confident. And of course, you know, you, you know, scoring scoring opportunities. You know, last week they had nine scoring opportunities, turned it over twice. They still finished with a 5.8 yards per opportunity, which is great, one of the best of all time for Drinkwitz. But you cannot turn it over once you cross the 40. You mm-hmm. got to get points. And uh, it's, they're going to come at a premium. So if they get big runs and they can finish their scoring opportunities, that's how I see them winning. What do you see? All of those things are like prerequisites for me on top of what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. But I think Luther Burden's going to have to make like two plays that are just amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I, The types that we saw from him last week at the goal line, specifically that screen pass that ended up like he finds a way to break through three different tackles and then drags two other defenders into the end zone. That kind of thing. You're going to have to see that at least like twice in this game. Um, the the other thing that I think that you're going to need to see is just what we saw from Brady Cook last week, you have to be able to do almost the exact same thing, if not better, against K-State. I'm not asking for him to be this like all SEC type of quarterback. That is an unfair expectation for what his talent level is. But can he be solid? Can he be a guy that consistently throws for 150 yards plus 200 yards and runs for 50 on the ground? I think he could do that. Hmm. And that's the kind of game that you should expect out of him this week against K-State. Okay. I I mean, yeah, be, be good, Brady. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be otherworldly. Just be good. Be good. Um, be kind of what we thought going into the season. Not obviously not what by the end of the year he was, but what Kelly Bryant was for Mizzou. Mm. I think a more accurate version of that with maybe less. Eh, I actually think kind of similar, but 
maybe not quite as much on the ground, but a more accurate version of Kelly Bryant is kind of what I'm expecting out of him. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have a score prediction? Does Missouri cover? What do you What are you thinking? I I, I do have K State winning this okay. one, um, and I do have them covering the spread. I hope that I am wrong. This is if Missouri wins and covers. Or, well, if they win, they will cover the spread by virtue <laughs> of that. But if Missouri wins this game, I will be picking them to cover whatever the spread is against Auburn. Um, because then I will, I, I think that we will know, okay, this team's just better than what we expected them to be going into the season. And the transfers made a real tangible impact early. I've got K-State winning this. I think it's going to be like 34-24, 31-21, mm. something like that. About a 10-point spread in favor of K-State. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I want to be wrong. I think there are like real outcomes in which i am wrong that that is not a fantasy land whereas before the season i thought it might be but man it's just it, it's tough opponent that's a tough place to play yeah. they are going to be ramped up for this game it is a sellout crowd there's only standing room only tickets available mm. they showed absolutely nothing and i mean nothing <laughs> on film against south dakota so mizzou's I think they've got a pretty good idea what the offense is going to look like, but it's going to be a little different with a, a new quarterback in there. So um, I, I think they lose by about 10. Where are you at on this? They're also going to have uh, their veteran right guard is out. They're going to be playing a backup, yep. which is like one of the only underclassmen that they're going to play. So for whatever that's worth. For me, um, I know that, you know, from, from a betting standpoint, most people are thinking, you know, okay, Kansas State will probably win. I know the money's moving towards Missouri. Okay. This is, from a projected margin standpoint, uh, if you look at uh, Bill C's SP+, he, he puts out, like, okay, projected margin of, like, how close it's going to be based off of what they did last year and what they've done so far this year. This is one of the closest games for this week. Uh, 8.2 spread for Kansas State. I think it's going to end up being, like, yeah, probably 31-21, 31-24, something like that. Yeah. One of those Missouri covers, um, but I, I I think you're going to be you're going to see a lot that is is going to be good. Like you're okay, like this is this is cool to build off of. But it's a it's still a fairly young team, and you're on the road against a really good opponent. And Eli Drinkwitz has not proven that he can win. You know a lot of power five road games. He's done it twice, but he did it against really bad South Carolina and one of the worst Vanderbilt teams of all time. So like, okay, I think it is going to be close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think we're going to learn something, but I don't think Missouri is going to win. So negative Nate strikes again. Give me 31, 21 <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll pack it up and get ready for Abilene Christian. Yeah, I, I hope that we're both wrong on yeah. this. I, I really, really, really do. We're, we're both rooting for Mizzou, and I know sometimes people get mad because uh, we take kind of more of a realistic approach on this thing, maybe even sometimes more you than me. <laughs> but if if Mizzou wins this game, oh, man, Saturday night when oh, we are yeah. doing this podcast together, I am going to be ready to go <laughs> nine and three. Like, we're, we're going to be going down the schedule saying, where are the losses? Yeah, where, where are, are they? they? Can, can you see them? Because I, I don't see many. <laughs> I will be drunk. Like throw Georgia to the side. Every other game, winnable. Winnable if they can win yeah. this one on the road. Yeah. I, I said it in the piece. Like if you win this one, your stretch goals are on the table. Yeah. yeah. If you don't, it's fine. Like you're still I still think the goals are win seven games in the regular season, make it to a bowl. I see nothing wrong with yep. that as being a goal for a real rebuilding team in year three. I just don't. Yeah, this is one of 
I would say probably three swing games on the schedule, maybe four, mm-hmm. you could argue. Mm-hmm. Like K-State. Florida. Uh, I think South Carolina, Kentucky, Arkansas, maybe? Or well, I'd say Florida. You could throw like, I'd say Florida. Throw Florida and Arkansas into that same mm. category, and like one of those. like Because Florida's on the road and Arkansas is at home, mm. I would probably say Arkansas for me is more into that category. But if you wanted to switch those, totally understand that. I've got no issues with it either. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm very excited for it. Uh, it's 11 o'clock, so wake up early, get your coffee, watch game day, and then plop yourself down and get ready for 60 minutes of no fun uh, with a couple of bit, a little bit of scoring here and there. Uh, get that Buffalo Trace creamer ready to dude, go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, any parting shots, BK? I don't think so, man. I'm I'm so hyped for this game. This is as excited as I've been for an early season Mizzou game in a minute, just because like there are so many things we're going to learn on Saturday and so rarely do you get the opportunity for this? I think last year we kind of had this with Kentucky, but that w- that was just a team that I had lower expectations for, to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. Um, what we saw in week one got me excited, and now I want them to be right. <laughs> like I want, yeah. I want our takeaways to be real, and for us to then say, okay, it wasn't just because they played a middling to bad group of five mm-hmm. team. That stuff that you saw against Louisiana Tech, it translates, mm-hmm. even against the quality opponents. So if they're able to do this on the road, God, it, it would just be so much fun. But uh, I'm pessimistic. I'm hopeful. Look, man, I would prefer an easy win, and you know I would. But I'll admit, <laughs> I'm kind of excited to, to see Missouri get back in Manhattan and be on the giant purple uh, wildcat head. That looks like two birds talking to each other. Like, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> about that. Willie the Wildcat. <sighs> the freakiest, freakiest mascot in college football. So, that's right. uh, yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us because we love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock and Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.